not entertained, welcome to the Lido Guards. Hey everybody, welcome to episode number five, where you come into my universe, but you're the center of it. Today, I have Jessica with us. Hello, Jessica. Welcome to the Leoverse. You're the center of it today. Hey, I'm doing pretty good. So quick, if you would give Thousand Mile, who are you? Like, what, what would you say to that? Like, how would you describe yourself? I would describe myself as someone who is constantly seeking new experiences, life experiences. I'm a little bit of a wanderer. I like to move around a lot. I like to, I just like things ever changing. I live, I've pretty much lived my life that way. Okay. So how does the world see Jessica? I think initially people see my short hair and think dyke. And then when they look a little closer, they see, you know, femininity, earrings, jewelry, feminine clothing, maybe some heels, and then they're not sure. And then it's just not very interesting. So I pretty much slide through and just pass as just another regular white woman. So now you bring up the word, I don't, I don't even want to use that word. <laughs> I consider the D word to be yeah. equal to the N word and I would never use it. I can understand in your own culture of being a lesbian. Is that fair to sort of call you? Um, yeah. I, I guess is queer. Can you use queer too? Or is that? Yeah. For- queer is pretty much interchanging. It's for anything outside of the normal. I okay. think the term is used for. It, Cause like I'm, I'm a heterosexual man. So this LGBTQ plus, and then, you know, we add new letters to this. It gets a little confusing for heterosexuals who are outside of that community looking in. You know, hey, I didn't get the memo that now we added the plus as a catch-all. When did that get added? You know, that stuff's never communicated. So it's just weird to me that these things are always fluid, but not really communicated. And then when somebody questions it, there's like, oh, you're homo- you're transphobic, you're homophobic. That could be not the case for some people. It's just, I wasn't educated or I was and exposed to that Mm -hmm. and you know you can't hold somebody to a standard that they weren't raised to but you can educate and i'm trying to use this platform to help educate my cousin michael who went by michelle i guess like ever since a kid we always knew he was different he's he had a hard life or she excuse me because she's a trans passed away due to a drug overdose heroin laced with fentanyl so i kind of feel bad and i wish i had that time to talk to my cousin about, you know, being trans, the pain that I can imagine them going through to need the drugs to, I guess, numb themselves through the world. And I'm afraid that, you know, so many people, because they have these issues, numb themselves to get through life. You get what I'm saying? And unfortunately, that is the story of most LGBT people is drug addiction, you know, suicide, it, it's it's hard. The world, the way it is today is so completely different. And I'm only 32 years old. It's so completely different than when I was growing up in relation to LGBT issues. Kids today that are born, uh, knowing that they're not quite heterosexual, have such a a much better chance in this world today because it it does you you go when you're a kid and you know you're you're not like everybody else you start to hate yourself and you start to hate the community that tries to embrace you and you know sometimes drugs is the only way or you just want to die because it's just all too hard you you know as human beings all we want is to be loved 
that's at the center of everything. And when you're growing up feeling like you're different and you're unlovable, that your parents will not love you anymore, it, it has a massive effect on the psyche of, of children um, when you have that feeling. So your cousin's story is tragic and it's it's hard to hear, but it is so many people's stories in this community. You grew up here in Baltimore to, I would say, a very religious Catholic family. Yeah. Do you agree with that? You went <laughs> to Catholic school. Yeah. So can you tell us how that was for you growing up? Did you always know that you were part of the LGBTQ? I knew something wasn't right. Um, I didn't know that it was something that I could ever be. I didn't know what gay was. Like, I remember when I was like eight or nine and I would say my prayers before bed every night and I would just pray that God would make me a boy because I liked girls. I didn't know that I could be a girl and like girls. I thought I had to be a boy and I've never had any issues with my gender identity. I love being female. Um, I have no intention to be male at all. Um, but that was my thought process. And I remember praying in my bed, please God, when I wake up in the morning, can you make me a boy? And it wasn't until another family member had come out and my grandmother had mentioned her at the start of like AOL Instant Messenger. Um, and I started talking to my cousin that I realized, wait a minute, this is this is me. Like, I'm gay. It's not like, I don't know why I it just didn't register in my brain until that moment. And I realized what was wrong. And it wasn't anything wrong. It was just there was a word for what I was feeling. And I reached out to my cousin and, you know, she was the first person I told. I said, listen, I, I have these feelings. I think I think what's wrong with you is what's wrong with me. Turns out it was. But um, I I still viewed it as a flaw, like a, like a human flaw to feel that way. Even though there was a word for it, it was still dirty. I mean, anything related to sex and Catholicism is dirty. So that creates a whole other web of issues there. The effects of growing up religious and being gay, I mean, I still have, I still have weird feelings about it. I'm still not entirely comfortable in my skin in public if I'm with my partner. I have that little, I don't know, that little voice in the back of my head that says, I cannot hold my partner's hand when I'm walking down the street. But... How has your relationship been with the religious side then? Still the Catholic culture or have you decided to branch out and try other religions or other denominations of Christianity? Um, not really. I have turned completely away from Catholicism. I lost my faith in God so many times. Um, you know, I went down the addiction road too for a very long time. I've been clean for almost six years now. I'm just now starting to find my faith again. That's something that I'm currently exploring right now. I don't know what I believe. There's something, there's something bigger than us. I don't know that it's the Catholic God. I do love Catholicism for the ritualistic parts of it. I think rituals and religion are, it's like this new age philosophy of like manifesting. That's all religion is. It's all the same thing. We have rituals in Judaism, Catholicism, you know, there's things that you have to do. And that is basically manifesting. That's what prayer is. It's all the same thing, tiny differences in what we choose to call God. I can't really answer that question because I'm still figuring that out and how I feel about it. Yeah, I, I've gone through that journey myself, a higher power. But 
I lose faith in organized religion because man is corrupt. Because A, a religion to me is dictated by man, which have their own agendas. To say, you know, your religion isn't accepting of somebody who's gay isn't right to me. One thing that drives me nuts about man is that we like to bundle people up. You're not like any white woman I ever met in my life. And I would never put you in a bubble like that, but other people will do that to you. Oh, she's a lesbian, so she has to be this type of... It's, to me, being lazy. It's not taking the time to actually learn who your fellow man is. And that's Mm -hmm. why this podcast means so much to me, is I want to go do that journey. I want to do that work to understand new people, old friends, and to get exposure to these people to help the world. How many times has religion failed? Man's gone to war over religion, and has it benefited society? You know, I get that, you know, the Bible helped create modern man or a civilized man, but at what cost? Yeah. We, I believe that religion is good. We are sentient beings aware of our demise and we need something. We need something to cope with that. Um, but man has taken the core values of what religion stands for and twisted it into political things that are just exclusive to everyone. And it's, it's not good. I think um, with religion, it's something that every person needs to do on an individual level and figure out what it is that they believe and what they stand for. And we would probably find that we all just need to put more love out into the world. Peace and love. Peace and love. Yeah, It's as simple as that, really. You, you went from Maryland, where the land of the O's, <laughs> king crab, blue crabs, to Massachusetts. Oh, man, yeah. how is that? How, how is that transition? So... The whole New England area can pretty much be grouped together. All the states are pretty similar. Rhode Island's a lot of fun, and it's more, it it reminds me of Baltimore a lot more. But from Massachusetts up, it's all pretty much the same. Uh, The first thing that I noticed is how white it is here. It's growing up in Baltimore, you know, you see so much diversity. There's so many different types of people. And as a white person in Baltimore, you do not feel like you are inherently the majority of people because it's so diverse. When I came to Massachusetts, I think it was two years before I seen another black person. And I looked twice because I was like, wait a minute, I hadn't realized I hadn't seen anybody other than a white person until that moment. And now I really recognize it. Not too far away from the town I live in up here is a town called Quincy, which is mostly Asian. And it is like, I mean, the signs on the buildings are written in different languages, like different Asian languages too. I don't know if they're mostly Chinese or Vietnamese, but that's the only heavy area where it's actually diverse. But in terms of people with different skin color, it's not something you see very often up here. And that was the most alarming thing because I didn't realize there were places like that. How how is the LGP plus um, culture different from Maryland to Massachusetts? Is it, is there a I feel, yeah, I feel like it's so liberal and progressive up here where Maryland is kind of split right down the middle. You have, it's a democratic state, but you have so many um, people who don't feel that way in Maryland. Up here, it's mostly progressive and LGBT issues are at the forefront. I feel completely accepted here. 
I don't feel weird in any way. And then we have Provincetown, which is like gay central of America, where you are coming into this. When you go into Provincetown, you know that this is a gay community. And they tell you, if you have an issue, you can't come into this establishment on all the signs there. It's it's the most inclusive place I've ever been to. And it's the only place I've ever been to in my life where I felt completely like I belonged. So any gay people go to Provincetown, like get that experience. It's like stepping into a different world. And Provincetown was actually created because the LGBT community was shunned. And so they went to the tip of the Cape, which is the furthest you can go out into the ocean and live there. And artists went there. They just made this whole community for themselves. And now it's a tourist destination for everyone. And it's just, it's, it was an amazing experience to go there. Thankful to live so close to it. So, so you had to go to Massachusetts to find yourself in your journey of life it sounds like you're in a happier place because of that journey oh yeah definitely i was so bad into drugs in in baltimore it's i love where i come from i love being a marylander i love having grown up in baltimore the culture there is just something i'm so proud of i'm constantly wearing maryland flag attire and raven's clothing and stuff up here but for me, personally, I had to leave. I had to leave to become a better person. There's drugs here. You know, Cape Cod is like the heroin central of America, but you don't see it. It's not like Baltimore where it's you can just look out your car window and there's somebody high or a drug dealer or something. It's, it's not like that at all here. Everything is very private. So for me as an addict, not having access to seeing that has has helped me on my path to stay clean and then also with the gay thing you know living here I, I feel much more comfortable than I ever did in Baltimore uh, I feel much safer I feel like um, the people up here were educated in a more progressive way on issues pertaining particularly to me um, so I do feel like I'm in a much safer space to be who I am openly. I need help moment. There wasn't one. was in such a mindset that I was just basically waiting to die. My drug use was just me being too scared to kill myself. I was just hoping the drugs would do it. And I did. Fentanyl uh, started coming into everything. And I, it's like every time I did drugs, I would, I would OD and be Narcaned and go right back to it and be upset that they even brought me back. And then I met someone online, fell in love, and I was like, well... You know, maybe there is something worth living for. And I had no ties to Maryland that, that I felt I needed to stay there. So I jumped on a plane and I moved up here and I never touched drugs again. That is not, I mean, I know it sounds like it was such a simple solution just to stop, but I literally had to change all the people, places, and things in my life. I could not have done it another way. Network of friends try to bring you back in or did they just let you go? I don't think that they tried to bring me back in and I'm still very good friends with a lot of addicts still today in Baltimore that I regularly speak to, but it was, it was a temptation for me. It wasn't them trying to get me back. It was me wanting to go back. It's, it's like a little alien in your brain that it just latches on and makes you make bad decisions and it never, it's never quiet. It's loud and it consumes your thoughts. So unless I made it physically impossible to go back, it wasn't going to work.
I'm happy that you did that and had that discovery because you're yeah. such you're a good person. Yeah, I've, I believe so. I, I've I've always enjoyed talking with you, uh, watching your uh, Facebook. I know we don't get to talk as much anymore, but you know you seem so much in a happy place. So many people that I've talked to, they they give that facade of they're in a happy place, but they're not. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's just sad to see, you know, when you see people like just making it and, you know, it's, there's more to life than just making it. You know, you, you spend up, it's like going to work every day. If you're ha unhappy doing eight hours, how are you going to have a happy life? Yeah. You got to make change in your life that betters yourself. And sometimes that's going to come at a price to friends, family. You know, you just got to escape those and you got to understand what's toxic in your life and it's going to make your life better because the only way you can make other people happy is making yourself happy. Yeah. And I, it, it didn't come without a price. I have completely abandoned my relationship with my entire family, but I, I had to, I, I had, I had to do it in order to survive. And, um, you know, it, it, it does hurt to think about it because I, I was at one point very close with my family and, you know, I would see you at, at certain times, when the family would get together, but I, I had to just, um, I had to leave. It's so hard to have those conversations with family. You know, you kind of want to stay private, but you want to share it too, but you don't want to turn people off because some people are just so judgy. I, I totally mm -hmm. understand that. You know, it's, it's like, well, you can still do what you're trying to do here, but you know, you don't know somebody until you walk the mile in their shoes. And that's what I think a lot of us fail to realize. Because mm -hmm. my experiences as a black man, you know, it's been rough, but get knocked down nine, get up 10. Mm -hmm. That's what we all have to do in life. So how do you see yourself now? I... I do see myself as a good person who made very bad decisions and has done very bad things. I see myself as someone who is constantly growing and is intelligent and has an array of life experiences that, you know, most people in their 80s will never have. I'm proud of that. I'm, I'm proud of the person that I am and I feel very comfortable in my skin. I am happy here. That's good. I am so happy for you. I got to ask you, I'm going to take this a little PG-13. Mm -hmm. I know you worked at a adult bookstore. I had yes. so many questions <laughs> when I read that on Facebook. I was like, man, I want to go down this road. I got you on the podcast. So I like, what was that experience like? Um, So sex and the things that happen in a couple's bedroom are mostly things that are kept private between people. But when you're coming into this store as a couple and you're speaking to the person that works there, who was me, it, for me, as the person who worked there, it became such a regular thing that it was like talking about the weather. And I think that made people more comfortable and willing to open up because I think sex is something that should be talked about freely and openly. It's not dirty. It's not impure. It's we're animals and it's a part of who we are. Sex can bring uh, intimacy to a relationship and it's important and it, it's something that should be a priority. You know, you'd see so many different people. You'd have people in the middle of the night that would come from the bar that just wanted to hook up with each other and find something fun to buy or you'd have the couple that were trying to spice things up or you'd have someone alone that was just trying to figure themselves out so on one hand it was just a sex toy store 
on the other hand, it was, it was big. And, and I felt that sometimes I really helped people, you know, people who were nervous, had never been in a store like that before and were trying to explore their, their own bodies. To have someone who can make you feel comfortable in that situation and help you find yourself is, you know, I felt like I was doing something good, even though it was dirty, viewed as dirty. <laughs> No, man, I, I get it. We've we've all had those jobs that were like, oh, this is a little taboo. Or we've been yeah. in situations where, oh, this is taboo. Did I make a wrong turn or somewhere? <laughs> or you knew you knew you were going down that turn and it's like, I'm going down it. So yeah, I, I get you. You went to school here. You went to medics. Can you talk about that? You know, people you know understand that because I always was curious about that. Um, I just, it was just a trade school. Um, I did the medical assisting program there. You know, I've always pretty much fell back onto that in my life. I'm, I'm glad that I, I went and completed that. Right now I work for Blue Cross and Blue Shield. I am grateful for, you know, going to school there and being in the medical field for so long because my, my real dream was to work for a medical insurance company. And I love figuring out problems with claims and all of that stuff. It's, I don't know, I like the tedious stuff. And, but there's not really much else on that. It was just one of the good decisions I made. Was there an uptake in that work with COVID? So many hospitalizations? Yeah, I worked through the pandemic. At the time I worked for a medical office here. And I mean, the, really the hardest thing was, I worked in podiatry at the time. And the hardest thing was getting people who were in their 70s and 80s to wear a mask. Like I just wanted to strangle them. Like, we're wearing masks to protect you. <laughs> you. You're the demographic that's at risk. Just put your mask on. Uh, it was more frustrating than anything else. I didn't work in any real help through the pandemic. I didn't work in a hospital. I wasn't helping COVID patients and stuff like that. But it was, I mean, diabetics and foot care is a necessity. So we did work through the pandemic. Gotcha. I mean, even, there's so much that has been affected by this, even in my work now. Like... I just work on medical claims, but there are so many Blue Cross companies that are so understaffed and it's like one of the best insurances in the country that you could possibly work for and they can't find people to work. There's just staffing issues everywhere. And I don't know if it's because all those people died or, or what it is, but life after COVID is, is definitely, you know, starting to show us what how the world's going to be now. Well, I think it's the mixture of we losing people. But it's also that the boomers were the, one of the largest generation. So that workforce is retiring. Yeah. So now you have Gen Xers and millennials taking over the workplace. Gen X wasn't a large, wasn't a large population. You know, your millennials are huge. You know, it's going to take you go when you, when you lose somebody who's been in the workforce so long, you're going to lose that experience, and that hurts companies worse than trying to replace the talent and get them up to speed but also it helps too because that newer generations used to that technology used trying to automate that technology to make it more efficient and you know, hopefully you know we'll make it a better workplace one thing i will say about millennials is and I, i've said it on a number of podcasts they are changing the way society is and it's awesome. Um, oh, I 100% believe that. I think that if this whole Russia thing didn't start up, a revolution was coming regardless. We uh, Millennials and Gen Z is going to change our economy as we know it because we're no longer accepting scraps. We're tired of living this way. We're, 
I'm, I grew up, I'm a millennial, and I never grew up with an idea in my head that I would ever own a home, ever. It's never been something that's ever seemed attainable to me, um, no matter how much money I make. I make really good money now, but I live in one of the most expensive states to live in. I should be able to have a one-bedroom apartment, 100% with my pay, but I can't. It's impossible. And we're, we're tired of living this way. We shouldn't be selling our souls 40 hours a week and not being able to have a home. I'm trying to get to the four-day work week. That's where my yeah. goal is. <laughs> that too. Your generation's probably got as much PTSD as my generation. My my generation saw the Challenger blow up while while we were in school. Because back in the day, they used to bring out the audio cart, had the TV up, and we get to see it. And I'll never forget that explosion. But you know, you guys have what Columbine? You guys have? Well, um, I I watched nine eleven on. On that Roland TV. I will I still never grade. forget that day. Yeah. Where were you in 9-11? I was in West Virginia, and I was in school. I was not far from where the third plane landed. It was like a stray plane that went off course. And I just remember them wheeling in that TV, and we were watching it, and I... I just wasn't old enough to understand just how big of what was happening. I was in seventh grade. I was, you know, a teenager. Yeah, I was working two shifts at UPS. Friend calls me up on the phone, says, turn on the TV. The Trade Center got hit. That was after the first one. So I'm watching. And then in the in the shot, the second tower got hit. And I'm just looking at it. And you're just like, this ain't real. Because it was unfathomable unfa to imagine seeing that. And it was just... And the amount of patriotism that I saw days after was insane. You know, you saw all the U.S. flags hanging off of bridges, people waving. You know, if anything, 9-11 opened up a eagle's claw of uh, whoop-ass. So. Yeah. And it, I mean, it gives me chills to think about it. I, I do have a complete memory of how it felt to be an American then the love and the pride that I had for my country and how our country had banded together. It didn't matter who you were, where you came from, what you look like. Everyone was an American then, and we have strayed so far from that today. We're not the same country that we were then, and, it, and it's terrible that we would need an event like that to care and love our own the way we did after 9-11. We're, we're almost at that event now. Oh, I with, think it's coming. Yeah. With um, Russia and the Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And you, you know, you know what makes it more humanizing for us? All I think it is, is being able to see it live on TikTok, news media and everything. It's just like, wow, these people are suffering. President Biden's coming from with not wanting to send American troops in. He's had a son who served. I question, is that the right move? with him i've been thinking about this a lot and i don't i would hate to be him today there's there's not a right choice you can join in and stop russia which will result in probably war coming directly on u.s soil and i don't think it's a war we'll win or you can stand back and let putin be the reincarnation of hitler and just start doing whatever he wants like i don't think that he would stop with ukraine i don't think that's all he wants. I, I don't think there's a right choice, but I don't think either either choice has a good outcome for us well, as the United States. Also, this is opening the door for China to finally take over Taiwan, which they always wanted to do. So I get that America 
has a bitter taste of war in its mouth from 20 years of Iraq and Afghanistan. But this may be a war we can't turn our backs on. Even though we but I don't it. think it's one that, that, that we're going to win. I think that's the hard part. I think this is going to be a war for the ages. Scary times we live in right now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and also, Putin threatened to use nuclear weapons. That's the part where I think we won't win. I think that with Russia, China, North Korea, those are countries that have no problem turning towards nuclear weapons in a war. I think the United States would take a little longer to actually, you know, push that button and actually do something like that because of the detrimental effects it would have on our environment and the world as we know it. But I, I don't feel like Russia or China feel that way at all. And they wouldn't have a problem with doing it, resorting to nuclear weaponry. Yeah. I kind of wanted to make this podcast to document how individuals, because you know, we have plenty of news articles out there, TV shows, talking to the SMEs, talking to, you know, former press secretary this, former secretary of war this, uh, of defense this person. I want to document, you know, how average Americans like you and I are viewing this. Yeah, we're scared. I, I Right now, this is the most scared I've ever been in my life. You know, this makes the pandemic look like it was chicken pox, which it wasn't. It was really serious, but. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, I know who's doing well right now and it's therapists. <laughs> That's all I can say. <laughs> they are making a killing. And the we drug companies. <laughs> Don't yeah. get the drug companies because yeah. those therapists are like, hey, I got this little <laughs> pill is going to make you feel a little bit better. Oh, really? Okay. Which On a know, global level, we, we as people have just been through it these last couple of years. A lot. It is. And all right, Jessica, I wanted to say thank you for this interview, but I finish all interviews with an exit interview quote from my guest. I want everybody to remember you by what is your exit interview? I would say just strive for happiness. Don't don't worry about the cost. It's strive for happiness. Don't worry about the cost. That is deep. That is a lot. Thank you so much. Um, Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh no, no, you're doing you're doing me a great service. Um, 